1: From Fool Global Headquarters, this is Motley Fool Money. It's the Motley Fool Money Radio Show. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio this week from Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser and Matt Argusinger, and from Motley Fool Deep Value, Ron Gross. Good to see you, gentlemen. Hey, how are you doing? We've got an historic first in the business of sports broadcasting and a big smackdown in the world of activist investing. We'll look at the ever changing landscape of the auto industry with best selling author Bryce Hoffman, and as always, we'll give you an inside look at the stocks on our radar. But we begin this week with the big macro. On Friday, the U.S. Labor Department announced 280,000 jobs added in the month of May. And earlier in the week, auto sales for May were announced. Strong sales pretty much across the board, Ron. What'd you make of the big macro this week? I like this
2: report, especially on the heels of last week's data that we got, which was, can we call it less than stellar? A little troubling. Um, I like this strong job report where. um, we're on our way for uh, more than a million jobs so far created so far in 2015, hope that continues. Unemployment ticked up, um, but it's really a function of the math, because more people return to the labor force, which is actually a good thing. Uh, and the bigger measure, U6, um, stayed the same, 10.8%. So I like this report.
1: I think we're, we're, we're gaining some steam that we needed to gain. Uh, Maddie, anything stand out to you from either the jobs or the auto sales? Well,
3: the uh, yeah, the auto sales were they've been strong this year, and they were they were certainly strong uh, this past week. Um, I I worry a little bit that that is a a bit of a it could be a bit of a blip in the sense that we've you know oil prices are, are, are have been lower so gas prices have come down quite a bit there's been a lot of pent up demand for autos especially larger uh, SUVs and trucks and so um, i think that's a bright spot for the economy right now and that, and of course the auto industry feeds into so much um, of, of the us economy i just worry that that might be a little bit of a short term bump i don't think I, I don't i still don't think consumer spending power and earnings are, or wages are certainly where they need to be to support that continuing but uh, certainly the labor no- labor numbers were great
2: yeah, we should, we should highlight the wage numbers, which has been kind of the weak links as as this recovery has taken hold. We did see growth. We saw 2.3% growth in wages, which is pretty good, but it's not where the Fed wants it to be, which is at about 3.5%. So, so we're on on our way, but we still have a ways to go well, before we get there. Thanks a lot, Ron. You just stole my point. Please make it on, again. No one was listening to <laughs> me. Let's focus on the wage numbers, right?
4: Because I think... I mean, the wage gains are the things to keep an eye. On. That's the thing to keep an eye on. That's going to dictate what the Fed ultimately does here. And you know, the big, the big question whenever these jobs reports are released now is like, okay, what is the Fed going to do when are rates coming up? And and so yeah, to to Ron's point there, it, it was a little bit better than expected. And really, what they're looking to see is sustainable wage growth that gets us back towards that sort of two percent inflation target. I do think, as long as we see some sustainable growth there, I think that you know a, a rate hike is certainly on the table for this year. I'd like to get back to some kind. Of sense of normalcy in regard to that. Uh, in regard to autos, I mean, this is where I start getting a little apprehensive because I feel like 2015 has been really the year of the truck. Oh, it has uh, been. <laughs> gas prices low, everybody's out there buying a new truck, and that's fine. I mean, I have no problem with that. But I mean, you remember what happened last time, right? I mean, everybody had a truck and then gas prices went through the roof and you had to take out a mortgage just to fill up your tank, and so everybody freaked out. Uh, So now I start looking at this and thinking, okay, well, at some point, gas prices will start going back up, and then how will the consumer behave at that point? And it's not like these automakers are all that cheap. I mean, Ford's closing in on 20 times earnings, GM is like 16. You know, I just don't find them to be the most compelling uh, opportunities in what's a very cyclical industry which is also cyclical within you know, itself. I mean, those brands kind of have their ups and downs as well. And I
1: realize that Fiat Chrysler is working off of a, a lower base than Ford and GM, but that stock has been a monster Rocket. over the past 12 months. Yeah.
2: Mitsubishi was up 32% in terms of car uh, their growth, um, but again, a smaller base. One final thing on autos, May is typically a strong month for autos because people put their tax uh, refund um, uh, into, yes. into a purchase, so that could be mm. uh, what we're seeing
1: here. This week, the NFL selected Yahoo to deliver its first-ever live video stream of a football game. Uh, Guys, set your calendars. October 25th, the game is in London, the Buffalo Bills against the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, Maddie, I, I feel like there's some pressure on Yahoo, but if they pull this off without a hitch, that could be pretty big for them.
3: Yeah, well, let me first say though, Let's be clear. I mean, this is the, the Buffalo Bills and Jacksonville Jaguars. No offense to the fans <laughs> of those teams. But this isn't exactly a marquee game. It's also happening in London at an interesting time, so it's not conflicting with other NFL games. You're saying the day.
1: CBS was fine to let this one get away? I, I
3: think so. So, in a way, I I think for the NFL, this is a small experiment. It's a small bet, um, and they get they're getting, I think, reportedly 10 million from Yahoo. So for them, there's not a lot of risk here. For Yahoo, though, I would say this is an interesting. Uh, this is an interesting thing that could happen for Yahoo. I mean, Yahoo is—you know—we we, kind of chide Yahoo as an old internet name, but they're very popular in sports. Their fantasy business is huge, and so this is—it's its a natural platform to sh- to showcase this type of, this type of game. Um, and I think uh, if this if it's done right, and there's a you know there's a huge fan viewership for this event, um, it could pave the way for for you know piecemeal uh, sports games online, which I think is huge and a big threat potentially to Directv.
1: Yeah, I think if you're a DirecTV, you're not happy about this move. I, I also think that, again, if Yahoo pulls this off, it enables them to go to not just the other major leagues, basketball, baseball, et cetera, but even to sort of smaller sports. Uh, and and make a bid f- uh, to be the destination for them as well. I,
3: absolutely, and and this is remember we're dealing with a with a demographic, a, a you know, a, a consumer demographic that's cutting the cord rapidly. yours truly included in that, who's yearning to pay. I mean, uh, you know, if I if I would rather not pay Directv two hundred fifty dollars a year to f- showcase a bunch of games that I don't really care about. But if I can follow the Patriots, here I am in Washington D.C. stuck with terrible Redskins games. If I can follow the Patriots <laughs> wow. and pay ten dollars a game, Send mail
2: too. There you go. Yeah, the Redskins <laughs> $10 are ten dollars a
3: game on something like Yahoo or another online. I want want to do that, and so there's certainly demand, and I think this is an interesting first step.
1: Investors wondering about Twitter's business strategy got a gift this week in the form of an unsolicited memo from venture capitalist Chris Sacca. Um, Jason, this was really well thought of, a very lengthy uh, memo that he put together, basically saying, this is what works, this is what Twitter needs to fix. And one of the themes of his entire memo was, they need to figure out a way to make Twitter easier for people to participate.
4: Yeah, I mean, to your point, if ever a management team that's on the hot seat was given a gift, I mean, this is it. I mean, this is basically the blueprint of, of what they need to do going forward to to really, I think, exploit the true value of Twitter and its real time platform. Because, you know, for the core Twitter user, and I would put myself in that group. I mean, it's it's. You know, it's one thing, but for for the general user, for all of those other hundreds of millions of people out there who maybe have tried it once or should try it, uh, it's it's a scary proposition. It's not it's not exactly uh, the the easiest thing to just pick pick right up. And and so yeah, Chris Sacca is a venture capitalist out in in uh, California in Silicon Valley, I believe. And uh, he's he's a very early and large shareholder in in Twitter, and he's a really bright guy with a terrific track record. I mean, he's. Gotten in on on early on Twitter, Uber, Instagram, Kickstarter, so he has a record of of, of seeing things that are that are really going to take on, and and these are notes that he's kind of cobbled together through the years, and he put it all together, and I thought a very uh, eloquent and well thought out uh, piece there in in that there are a lot of different ways you can make Twitter easier, and really you know he focused on things like. Twitter live, you know, utilizing that real-time dynamic to to bring a a live audience, uh, you know, to the platform there, and and other things like uh, channels. I thought was a great idea. You know, we've talked a lot about, or I've talked a lot about how Twitter lists are very. Uh, nice to have. I mean, you can make a list of, of the, all of the NFL teams, and during the football season, it's a phenomenal list to, to be able to to refer to. But it's not something they highlight, and you got to kind of dig for it. And so they really need to make things a bit more easier uh, for for you know the average the average you know consumer to to try out. I, I really really hope that management does does latch onto this. It's not something they can ignore, and I'm certain that the next earnings call there's going to be something said about it. And and you know in subsequent earnings calls as well. I mean this they, they need to take note here.
3: I, I totally agree Jason. And you know this reading it it was it felt and we talked Chris we talked about it before the, the the taping was that uh uh, this wasn't just an analyst saying, "Hey, Twitter, do this. You'll, you know, you need to focus on this market, or you know, you need to focus on your margin here." No, no, this was this was like a heartfelt piece, almost as if this was a, uh, a he was a fan of a sports team and writing the ownership and saying, "Gosh, I love. It. I followed this this sport you know, on this team for 30 years. Here's what you can do to help the team." Um, and this was really, uh, you know, from a heart, you know, from a really power user of Twitter. And I think I I just hope that Dick Costello and team listen up because it's it, it'll take Twitter in better in a better direction for sure.
4: precisely there. This isn't an analyst saying you need to grow your users. This is a real thinker here who's saying, you need to grow your users, and this is how you're going to do it. Right,
1: And just a touch of irony that Twitter, which limits you to 140 characters, this memo goes over 8,000 words. (laughs) (laughs) Coming up, the first inductees in the World Video Game Hall of Fame have been announced, and you won't believe who got snubbed. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money.
0: There is nothing quite as wonderful as money.
1: As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill here in studio with Jason Moser, Matt Argusinger, and Ron Gross. Bill Ackman, the hedge fund manager and activist investor, has accused nutrition company Herbalife of being a pyramid scheme. He's also shorted the stock to the tune of a billion dollars, and Herbalife has decided to fight back very publicly, Ron, with a website, therealbillackman.com. Anyone My ever, word. Anyone ever put together therealrongross.com <laughs> oh, no. back during your hedge fund thank days? Thank goodness
2: no. I've, this is unprecedented. I've really never seen anything like this before. Typically, um, a company will fight back, and they'll do so in the form of a letter, which shows up in a, in a regulatory filing. Um, and they'll say some very pointed things if they need to. But to create a website for the sole purpose of taking down this activist investor, it, it's it's gonna be interesting to see if, if this is just the first and and this is going to be common
1: well Maddie it's a little bit of damned if you do damned if you don't they they probably need to respond in some way on the other hand are they like really they're they're dedicating time and resources to putting something like this together yeah
3: I mean it's, it's it doesn't look good from either side it, it certainly doesn't look good from herbal side but you know the, the only thing I have to say is you know Bill Ackman has made this so personal I mean this is a guy who's done how many presentations about herbal life and Two of which I think he's cried at, or at least had been emotional at, in bringing his father and so. I mean, he has made he's kind of built a personal vendetta against Herbalife. I I still don't support what Herbalife is doing with this website and all this stuff. But you know, to be honest with you, I almost think Herbalife need had to or felt like they needed to do something like this just to counter it
2: yeah the, the whole activism is, is an interesting thing all activists want to make money right let's let's face it but there are those activists that want to improve a business and enhance shareholder value in this particular case Ackman wants to destroy oh, well, the company. he wants to, he take wants him to down, destroy yeah. I mean, value and he wants to make yeah. money that way which is not the kind of activism that i'm a fan I, of. i mean he's called
4: this his highest conviction idea ever and and I mean to me like I don't I don't understand how you call a short your highest conviction ever but yeah, your upside's I mean, kind of capped there. Yeah, but at know, this point, I mean he, he's making it very personal. and I think there's a really valuable lesson in here that that we talk about all the time. Don't let your emotions get in the way when when you're investing. He's clearly, I mean, his emotions are completely in the way. And and you know I mean on the <laughs> the site. It's pretty funny. I mean, I, I, I wouldn't do it, but, man, I'll tell you, the guy's been asking for it.
1: I mean, he's certainly been asking for <laughs> well, it. Well, and to Ron's point, I mean, there are those activists. John Malone from Liberty Media leaps to mind. He's been in the news recently when, you know, with, with Charter and Time Warner. Kibble. I mean, among other things, Malone is an activist who sort of sticks to his knitting, right? He, yeah. he stays in the realm of media, whereas Ackman, who certainly has had his successes, kind of seems to be all over the map. The Strong Museum in Rochester, New York, announced six inductees for the inaugural class of its World Video Game Hall of Fame. Here's the list, guys. Pong, Pac-Man, Tetris, Super Mario Brothers, Doom, World of Warcraft. Among the finalists who did not make the cut, Angry Birds, FIFA, (laughs) Sonic the Hedgehog, and Space Invaders. Come on. How did that... How did that not make the list, Ron? Impossible. Where's
2: asteroids? Where's Donkey Kong? Jason and I were just talking. I, was just about saying, it. I mean,
4: Donkey Kong. There's no Super Mario Brothers without
3: Donkey right. Kong. What about what about Madden? I mean, this is the number one sports game every year for like the past 25 years, and there's not a you know Madden wasn't even in there.
2: I am glad to see Tetris make it, because I probably wouldn't have thought of it, but it is so addicting. Like, It's, oh. it's unbelievable the amount of wasted time we're not, I spent on Tetris.
1: We're not quite at uh, the point to talk about the stocks on our radar, but let's bring in our man Steve Rutter from the other side of the glass. Steve, any of those video games resonate with you? Like, If you get one vote... Which video game are you putting in the Hall of Fame?
2: I think I'd have to go Castle Wolfenstein. Do you guys remember
1: that? Oh, wow. well, they put,
2: uh, yeah,
3: you know, that was the precursor to Doom, which did make it in. So I, yeah, I agree it's a big deal. That. Yeah. That's a throwback. Totally agree, Steve.
1: I'm going to go obscure. I'm going to go George Plimpton's Video Falconry. i <laughs> just, just <laughs> making that up. Just to throw oh it out goodness. there. Uh, radio at fool.com is our email address. Uh, I got an email from Scott Crawford. On last week's show, Jeff Fisher asked why Amazon doesn't advertise on their boxes. Apparently Jeff's some kind of wizard, or Amazon was listening because this showed up at my house today, and he sent a photo of a an Amazon box with the Minions oh. from the Despicable Me movie. Yeah. So clearly the the movie studio is paying for that. Jeff. I was reading more into that after afterward,
4: and this is something we're going to see more and more of. I was talking to Jeff after that because we uh, got pinged on Twitter a couple of times about it as well, and, and I mean, you think about it. I mean, e-commerce is only growing. My my house, there's a box on the doorstep. It seems like three times a week at least, and that's just empty space where advertising could be right in front of you. In in a company like Amazon, I mean, they they are certainly going to be able to target that demographic. Uh, so I, we'll definitely see more of this. This could be a huge lever for Amazon to pull to generate sales. Is Jeff a genius?
1: I would no, say yes. No, he's a, no, wizard. a, a wizard. Oh, <laughs> you were talking about Jeff Fisher. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Jeff Bezos. No, How both. about yes on both counts? Definitely. Uh, and from Hunter Price, regarding our conversation last week about McDonald's, Hunter writes, I don't think bringing back the Hamburglar is going to help. People are willing to pay a little more for better quality food. I just graduated from college. I have no money, and even I avoid McDonald's. of baby. So there you go. All right, let's get to the stocks on our radar, and Steve will hit you with a question. Ron Gross, what are you looking at?
2: Steve, a new rec from our Inside Value Service looks interesting to me. Graham Holdings, GHC. Do not let the price tags um, scare you away. It's over $1,000 per share. It's a conglomerate. They own education and media assets. The Graham family from uh, Washington Post fame. They sold that to Jeff Bezos. Speaking of of Mr. Bezos, um, it's a really interesting collection of assets. Um, The Kaplan family of educational, Cable One, um, they own TV stations, some social media. Um, Stock looks cheap to our inside value, guys. Uh, I have to dig into it, too. But there's at least 20% upside, uh, it looks like to me. And they're doing a nice job buying back stock as they shed non-core assets.
1: Steve, question about Graham Holdings? Sure.
2: My question is, when you own a a company like this, how do you know what you're actually owning? You're owning a a big, diversified
0: bucket that can some do well, some do poorly?
2: Yeah. It depends. If Sometimes, with a conglomerate, they own a lot of public Things like like uh, Buffett and Berkshire owns a lot of public uh, stock, and you can value those easily. Then you have to look at the the private businesses, and that's a little more hard to understand. And you d- got to dig deeper. Um, the better the disclosure, the more the easier your work is as an analyst. And different companies are better with different disclosures.
3: Matt Argusinger, what are you looking at? Sure. Well, you know, Chris, you mentioned John Malone uh, earlier in the show. I mean, he's the guy you know, kind of behind the Charter Time Warner merger. The you know, he's involved with Lionsgate and Stars, really big in the media space. And so I think there's gonna be a lot of consolidation continue to be in that in that industry and one one company in particular I think is going to be in someone's crosshairs is AMC Networks ticker AMCX uh, you know this is a studio and the network behind Breaking Bad Mad Men and of course cable's biggest TV show The Walking Dead the spin-off is coming later this summer Fear the Walking Dead there's a lot to like about this network uh, so AMC there you go Steve
0: Is it a feast or famine business? I mean, Mad Men was, I think, the definition of AMC, and it's gone. And I don't
3: know. Well, break. Well, you know, it it can be, but you know, they've got some great franchises now. In Breaking Bad had its own spinoff, Better Call Saul, which has proven to be successful. So, I feel like they built some sustainable franchises in the business. But sure, it is still a hit or
4: miss type of business. Jason. Well, speaking of feast or famine, Steve, uh, you know, investing is all about being opportunistic, and like Peter Lynch says, uh, sometimes the best names out there are the ones you already own. Chipotle shares, ticker CMG, these shares have been on a bit of a selling spree lately, and I noticed that earnings multiple has come back down below 40. Uh, this isn't one we, we haven't <laughs> talked about before, I think. you know, Yeah, we've talked about it all the time, so I think you get the <laughs> business. Uh, but again, I think it's 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 all about being opportunistic, and I think there is an opportunity here for long-term investors, uh, so you want to keep your eyes on Chipotle. I know I will.
1: Steve?
2: Do people get tired of that Diet, the Chipotle diet, which is so <laughs> just static. They have, they have something new, don't they? Have a new. Uh...
4: Well, they they are branching out. So I mean, it's beyond just the Chipotle concept. You have the the shop house and the the pizzeria locale, which those will be much slower to grow. But uh, yeah, I, you you can't eat too much Chipotle. My shareholder, I'm not complaining, down. but it's it it gets a little old. Those lines are always out the door, though. What do you like,
1: Steve? I'd have to go with the uh, diversified, bronze. Uh, remind me of the ticker, Ron. G H C Graham Holdings. Sounds interesting. All right, all right, guys. Thanks for being. Here Thanks. up next, best-selling author Bryce Hoffman. Stay right here. You're listening to Motley Fool Money. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. I'm Chris Hill. Bryce Hoffman spent two decades covering companies in the automotive, tech, and biotech industries. He's a contributor to Forbes, author of the bestseller American Icon, Alan Mulally, and the Fight to Save Ford Motor Company, and he joins me now. Bryce, welcome back.
0: Thanks, Chris. Always great
1: to be on. Earlier in the show, we were talking about the strong auto sales for the month of May. And you know, uh, it was just a few years ago that we were talking about the auto industry in terms of bankruptcies and bailouts. When you look at this industry today, what stands out to you?
0: Well, what stands out to me, Chris, is that we are we are back. I mean, the, the auto sales in the United States are back to the level that they were at in, in July of 2005, 10 years ago, before the Great Recession, before the collapse of, of, of GM and Chrysler, before the near-death experience that, that, that the entire industry in the United States at least went through. It's back.
1: It seems, again, how the narrative changes a couple of years ago there's a lot of talk and a lot of attention to electric vehicles to hybrids mm-hmm. but now you've got the price of gas where it is and all of a sudden a big part of the story is everybody's buying trucks everybody's buying jeeps is that is that a surprise or is that just to be expected
0: you know it's, unfortunately it's not a surprise and it, it, it is to be expected and it's it's been the it's been the underlying narrative of of the of the mix in the US auto uh sales for the past several decades. Because, you know, Chris, almost alone amongst the, the major industrial nations, we have no energy policy in this country. And without an energy policy, uh, the onus of, of, of meeting uh, fuel economy targets is on the companies, not on consumers. So automakers are constantly under pressure from the U.S. government to, to produce, you know, cleaner uh, you know, more economical vehicles that use less gasoline, which is why you see the big push towards hybridization towards electric vehicles. But, but the price of gas in this country remains among, you know, radically lower than it is in Europe, for instance. So consumers, when, when the price of gas falls, they just go back to what they love, which is big trucks and SUVs. And it makes it incredibly difficult for automakers in this country to come up with any sort of rational long-term plan.
1: Well, let's get to some of the automakers specifically. One of the standouts in May was General Motors. uh, And uh, despite that month, there's still the possibility of facing criminal charges over the faulty ignition switches. She's been the CEO for about 18 months. How do you think Mary Barra is doing at GM so far?
0: Well, you know, I, 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 I think it's important to start by saying that Mary has inherited an incredibly difficult uh, situation. I mean, you know, literally just days into into the into the position, this, this uh, recall scandal, this switch scandal erupts in her face, kind of like a hand grenade. Uh, so I wouldn't wish that on anyone. But I think she's done okay in dealing with it. Uh, it's hard to it's hard, it, You know, it is a hard situation to deal with. The problem is, is that you know some of GM's initial reactions. To, to the recalls, to the in criminal investigation, to all of this, uh, really kind of smacked of old GM. And I think that in recent months, that's changed. I think in recent months, we've seen under Mary's leadership, GM become more responsive and become more proactive in dealing with this. But, you know, she talks a lot about culture. And that's, that's great, because culture is is is, is important. You know, it's not just important, it's vital. You know, as the saying goes, culture eats strategy for breakfast every day. And GM's culture is the problem. So I applaud her for wanting to change GM's culture. But changing GM's culture has to go farther than some of the, the initiatives that she's talked about recently. You know, she she was a keynote speaker at the at the Forbes Forum in Detroit a few days ago or last month and uh you know, she she talked a lot about culture which was great. You know, she said things like you can't fake culture. You've got to have an environment where people feel engaged. Those are, those are great things. But culture has to go beyond just making employees feel like their their views matter. Culture has to get into things like transparency, like accountability, like owning the problems that the company has. And, and I think there's still a lot of work to do on that front at GM.
1: Well, you got to study up close someone who was effective at turning around the culture at a major American automaker when you look at the work at, that Alan Mulally did at Ford Motor, do you think that unwittingly he provided a blueprint for a company like General Motors and that maybe, in fact, Mary Barra was looking at what Mulally did at Ford and and tried to take some of that and sprinkle that magic dust on GM?
0: I don't think it was unwitting at all. I think that, that you know nothing would make Alan Mulally happier than to see more American companies, more American manufacturers, follow Ford's model um, of, of, of creating a working together culture, a culture of transparency and accountability. Because, Alan, at the end of the day, I'll never forget, you know, I was covering Ford for the Detroit News back in, in fall of 2006 when, when Bill Ford stepped aside and brought in Alan to, to run the company. I will never forget, I asked Alan that day, that first day on the job, why are you here? Why are you, have you left Boeing, which has been your life's work, to come to an automaker where you have no car experience? And he, he said that day, he said, I am here to fight for the soul of American manufacturing. And that really is, is kind of what his life's work has been about. He believes America should make things. So I think he would love to see GM be successful using the same techniques. And I think you're absolutely right, Chris. I think that's a big part of what's happening. I know for a fact, having talked with some of the people who are advising Mary Barr actually right now, that they've looked very closely at some of the things that Alan did to change Ford's culture. But, you know, here's the problem. Ford's culture changed because Ford made the decision to fix its problems itself and not ask the American taxpayers to to, to save it. You know, under Allen's leadership, Ford withdrew its request for a bailout and, and did the hard work that was required to save itself without that money. GM took a different path. GM didn't do the hard things that were required to save itself. It went bankrupt. It wiped away Many of its liabilities with the stroke of a pen, as we see right now. They're still trying to argue that they're not liable for these ignition switch problems because they happened before it went into bankruptcy. Ford still owns all the mistakes Ford 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 was responsible for over the years, and it's 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 addressed them. So you can say that changing culture is important, and it is. But to really change culture, you have to you have to do the hard work of, of actually digging deep into the organization and changing the way it does business, changing the way that it approaches its problems and pulling, you know, kind of cutting out the cancer that created those problems in the first place. Ford did that under Alan Mulally's leadership. That's still a work in progress at GM.
1: Alan Mulally retired in 2014. Mark Fields is now the CEO at Ford Motor. If Mulally's biggest decision had to do with whether or not to take the bailout what do you think is the biggest decision that Mark Fields has faced yet or is currently facing?
0: You know, I, I think, I, let me just start by saying that I, I think that, that Mark is doing a great job of continuing the momentum at Ford. And I think that the hardest decision, honestly, is is something that, that maybe doesn't look that hard unless you look at it more closely, which is to, to to not fix what isn't broken. You know, we have a culture in in American business that's developed – over the past decade and a half, I would argue, you know, kind of thanks to guys like Jack Welch, that, 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 that is the culture of the rock star CEO, right? Where, you know, to be viewed as a good leader and effective business leader, you have to come and, 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 and put your imprint on everything you have to do. It all has to be you. It has to be you're the guy with the answers. You're the guy with the plan. You're the guy who does everything. You know, it's not a good model. Alan introduced a different model, which, was, which is a team-based model. And, and, and Mark Field is a product of that model, and he's doing a very good job as such. But, you know, it's a huge, it's a huge, it's got to be a huge struggle for someone as talented and a, who's as good a leader as Mark is not to want to, you know, just start fiddling with things just because he wants to put his stamp on them. And if you look at Boeing, if you look at what happened at Boeing after Alan left, his successors couldn't do that. They couldn't, they could, even though Boeing, when he left, was was, was, was you know, firing on all cylinders, you know, um, his successors couldn't resist the temptation to start dismantling some of his management systems that have proved so successful just because they weren't theirs. And Boeing as a result has gotten into some really deep trouble. And I think that the challenge at Ford is to not do that. And it, there's another challenge too, which is on, which is in, goes to, you know, kind of the employee side of the equation. And this is something that I've talked to Bill Ford about a lot. I know it's something that keeps him up at night still. And that's, that's guarding against complacency. Because, you know, Chris, if you look at the history of Ford Motor Company, it has had several near-death experiences over the past century. And it has, it has clawed its way back and, and been amazingly successful after each of those. But then at some point, it starts to take its success for granted. And the old bad behavior starts to slip back in. And next thing you know, it's fighting for its life again. And I know that that, like I say, Bill's greatest anxiety in right is to make sure that Ford doesn't become a victim of its of its new success. That it keeps that sharp edge. That it keeps its foot on the gas. That it keeps doing the hard work that it that pulled it through the Great Recession without a government bailout. In the face of success, just as it did in the face of, of, of the threat of imminent collapse. That's a huge challenge.
1: Coming up, more with Bryce Hoffman. Stay right here. This is Motley Fool Money.
3: Live
1: in cars. Welcome back to Motley Fool Money. Chris Hill talking with best selling author Bryce Hoffman. From the standpoint of stock performance, the real surprise in the auto industry has been Fiat Chrysler. Uh, over the past year, the stock's up 80%. That's easily outperforming the likes of Ford, GM, Toyota, and yes, even. Tesla Motors. What is going on with Fiat Chrysler and CEO Sergio Marchionne? Sure, seems like, among other things, a very interesting business leader.
0: Sergio has got to be one of one of the. He, he's a journalist dream come true uh, because he 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 says he speaks his mind and, and he doesn't censor himself, uh, and he's a man of very strong opinions. And uh, it made it a lot of fun when I was a journalist to cover him. I think that that what he has done with Fiat Chrysler is amazing. You take in a company in the, in the form of Chrysler that 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 was was you know just clinging to, to life thanks to the life support provided by the U.S. and Canadian governments, and there was had really been gutted by 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 Germany's. Uh, uh, Mercedes Benz when it when it sold off its its majority stake in the company a few years before the, the Great Recession, there wasn't a lot of there left and so I think that he has been very successful but he's also been very successful starting from a very low uh, you know kind of baseline and so it's easy to make big progress you know it's kind of like that like the old song said you know starting from zero got nothing to lose and that's kind of the story of Chrysler. Now he's getting to the point where things are getting a little bit more challenging. Sergio has always said that, you know, he needs to, that, that to survive long term, Fiat Chrysler has to become a true global automaker that can compete with, with, with the big six. It has to become one of the big six, uh, which is, you know, Toyota, General Motors, Ford, Volkswagen, on the, you know it's it's the it's the big global automakers um, and uh, they're not there and he knows that they can't get there from where they're at right now they can't grow their way into that they need enough they need a third leg to the stool is how he's described it to me at various points and he's spent the last few years searching around for that third leg and that's, that's a challenge.
1: Well, and based on which reports you read, he's reached out to Mary Barra at GM about a possible merger there. He was rebuffed. He recently met with executives at Apple, including CEO Tim Cook. Um, and speaking of which, uh, you know, we've been talking about the traditional automakers, but Apple and Google are big successful companies with very deep pockets that both seem very interested in possibly developing their own vehicle uh, of some sort. So when it comes to maybe not competitors today, but potential competitors in the future, who do you think worries automakers more, Apple or Google?
0: You know, that's a tough call. I think they both do. Um, I I think that that you know, it's much. I think I would say that Google is, is is more likely to bring their own vehicle to market than Apple is at this point. Not that they, you know, they've been more clear that that's part of their strategy. Um, I I think that still remains to be seen. At Apple, Apple is I think more of a partner at this point, but a partner that could turn into a, it, they're a frenemy, they're they're a partner that could turn into a competitor at, at any moment. And you know, that's that's the lesson that that, 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 that the new economy has, you know keeps keeps trying schooling the old economy in right you know I mean everybody you know for every Ford and GM out there is, is waiting for you know the the, the next uh, you know um, Tesla or, or Google to become the uber of their industry and just disrupt everything you know that is a huge threat now that said the barriers to entry in the automobile industry as Tesla has learned for instance um, you know are a lot higher than they are in say the taxi industry. And it's a lot more difficult to to become a major player in the global automobile business than it is to, you know, change the way that people buy books or change the way that people hail cabs or you know get from from point A to point B in a big city. Uh, but that does not mean that these these new entrants to the automobile business are not real threats that have to be taken seriously by the 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 Fords and GMs and the Toyotas of the world.
1: You're working on a new book. You've been spending time at the command and general staff college at Fort Leavenworth uh, where the army is doing a lot of work on something called cognitive dominance. First, what is cognitive dominance and how does it apply to business?
0: Well, you know, it, it's really amazing, Chris. I, I've been down here for several months. You know, the army is, is, has, has really realized uh, because of the hard lessons of the past uh, Couple of wars we've been fighting. Uh, that that if it's going to be successful, it needs to, it needs. To, you know, it's not it's not better guns and, and bigger bombs that are going to, to, to help it. It's it's thinking better. It's thinking through situations before it puts troops on the ground. It's 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 outthinking. You know, America's enemies and they have been pouring a huge amount of resources into developing new cutting edge tools for planning and strategy and leadership and, and, and developing good, you know, good ideas, um, from, you know, bottoms up approach in their organizations that really, I think have huge applicability to American business. And that's what I've been here doing is studying those, those methods, you know, and the military is developing these techniques, you know, for security, you know, for, to defend the nation from threats, but the, the same techniques can be used to to defend your business against threats in the marketplace and and also to find new opportunities you might be missing in the marketplace and that's what I, I just think I think people have no idea the kind of cutting edge work that the army's doing I'll give you an example. Uh, I was just talking with a general here who who helped develop a system that was that was used to, in Iraq uh, to create a, a network. Uh, to 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 um, the 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 uh, Al Qaeda got its hands on a, on a huge batch of these Chinese grenades that uh, are were, were that could be used to blow up our armored Humvees and stuff. So they were very lethal, and it was it was having a huge impact on our forces there a few years ago. And they they created a system using using basically a social media approach to get good ideas from soldiers, literally soldiers in the foxholes you know, up to the top of the command structure. And within a few days of putting out a call for ideas on how to deal with this new threat, a soldier had literally sketched on the back of a napkin and, and skinned in a design for putting tarps on the sides of our armored vehicles that basically if, if, if you know, Al-Qaeda paid a teenager 20 bucks to throw one of these hand grenades at a passing American convoy, it would just bounce off the tarps and and the vehicle would be unscathed. You know, within a few weeks of getting that through this social idea generation system, uh, the military had prototypes being tested at at, uh, its proving grounds in the United States. And within a few weeks after those successful tests, these tarps were actually being deployed on U.S. vehicles in Iraq, and there was never another fatality from these grenades since then. Now, think about that. That same approach could be used by businesses, to de- develop great ideas that are percolating, you know, at the, at the bottom of their of their organizations. Because we all know that those exist in our companies. To, to get those types of ideas and bring them to the surface where they can be turned into to real marketable, you know, tools or products. That's just one example.
1: Well, you have to come back on the show when the new book is out. But in the meantime, The Wall Street Journal named American Icon Alan Mulally and the Fight to Save Ford Motor Company, one of the best business books of 2012. So you can pick that up while you're waiting for Bryce Hoffman's next book. Thank you so much for being here, Bryce.
0: Thank you, Chris. Always a pleasure.
1: That's going to do it for this week's show. Our engineer is Steve Roydo Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.